Yes, we used to sing in that song, if you're happy and you're not, then your face should surely show it. <laughs> so if you're free, it should show up in our face and what we do. How awesome. Well, I want to just open your Bible with me in uh, Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. This last message I preached before I, I left to go uh, to Australia was a message called Follow Jesus. And so we're going to pick that up. I feel challenged on that one, on following Jesus. People are following many things today, and I want to challenge you to follow Jesus. This is something we do corporately, but it's also something that is very individual. And uh, so I want you to think. You can be following all kinds of things. We saw last week uh, a number of the things we could be following. Let's have a look and uh, just start with a key verse to trigger off with. Then I want to share with you a message which I've called the Princess Syndrome. The Princess Syndrome. And you'll see what it's about and how it connects to following Jesus in a moment. I didn't even know there was such a thing. In fact, it wasn't until after I'd thought about it and got some ideas together and felt the Holy Spirit quicken some things, I thought, I wonder if that is something. I should look it up. And then it turns out that it's well known in psychologist circles. The, the Princess Syndrome. So I'm not going to be talking about that. I'm going to be talking about discipleship following Jesus, but one of the issues that stops us. So... Uh, let's have a look. Uh, Matthew, Mark chapter 1 and verse 17 and 18. And Jesus said to them, follow me. There it is. He hasn't changed. He still calls us to follow him. Not follow an experience. To follow him. It's a person. Okay? Not follow a doctrine. Follow a person. Not follow celebrities. Follow Jesus. We're called to follow him. And I feel the Holy Ghost pressing on me. The church needs to return to the very foundations of what, it, what, what our faith is about. It is about following Jesus. And it says it was the, the disciples, the followers of Christ, that were called Christians. Today we call lots of people Christians. It doesn't say anything. It doesn't really mean anything much at all. You call yourself what you like. What counts is that you follow Christ. And that is not just a decision you make, it's a lifestyle. Jesus said, follow me, I will make you to become fishers of men. If you follow Jesus, your life will become something it isn't now. He will make you something you're not. He will change you to become something he wants you to become. And that is someone vitally interested in the salvation and welfare of people. That's what he'll make you. People who get caught into experiences and forget the lost and forget the needs of people have gone astray from the faith. We're called to follow Jesus, and he will make us a fisher of men. He will make us someone who engages people who don't know him and gathers them up in different kind of ways. It doesn't mean you'll be all evangelists. It does mean that engaging people where they are and helping them progress in their relationship with God is what all believers are called to do. So to follow, let me just define it again, what it means to follow Jesus. I'm still trying to get a handle on it. So every week as I study, I'm looking for more insights on it. So it, the word comes from a word means union. It's two words coming together. Union, uh, union, and the second one is in a road. So it means being united on a journey or a road with Jesus. I didn't turn this on. I won't need that one. There we are. Thank you. Pause. I didn't notice you making all those flapping sounds down the back there because I didn't have my, my head mic turned on. <laughs> Got 
caught up with what God is doing, I think. Here it is. So, so notice here to follow me. It means literally to be on a road with someone as your companion. That, that's what it means. To follow Jesus, you are on a journey with him through life. So following Jesus, it's about the journey, not about just where you're going to get. It's actually about learning how to have a day-to-day -day relationship and walk with someone through life. It's sharing the journey. He comes as a companion to you to share your life with you. You walk with him in life, sharing your life with him. And so it's a journey on the same road. Uh, to, the word means literally to enter someone else's world and journey with them. So if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to enter uh, into his perspectives on life. You see, it's, it's thinking life differently to the way you've thought it. If you want to follow the world, it follows a course. But when we follow Jesus, we begin to think about how he sees life. What is his perspective on life? What is important? What isn't important? What is, he, what is of value? What's not of value? And so our values begin to change. We begin to shift how we think about life. One of the challenges that the church faces is the lifestyle of so many believers is so similar to the world and the anxieties and pressures and problems they have are so identical, it's hard to find someone following Jesus. There's plenty of people who go to church. It's someone following Jesus that will provide the answer. And so we want to focus on what it means to follow Jesus. So it's a lifelong journey with him, being committed both to him and to his cause. I don't think you can be a follower of Jesus without loving his church. Church is imperfect and has many problems. Probably so many problems we could spend an hour, a day or two just describing them all. But nevertheless, his church is his church. It's his bride. It's the one he came for, and he will make his church perfect. I don't think we can follow Jesus and not be engaged with his people and also with the cause he has in changing a community. Following Jesus means that. As many things it means. But those are some things. Now I'm not going to develop those too much. I want to pick up one aspect of following Jesus in a scripture you'll be very familiar with shortly. And uh, so, here's the, so here's the first thing that you have to realize if you're going to follow Jesus. It's not all about me. Tell someone it's not all about me. Speak the words. It's not all about me. And I know that just on that one revelation, some of you can go home today very disappointed. <laughs> it is not, life is not all about you. And the sooner you realize it, the happier you will become. Your family, your children need to learn this lesson. Many lessons they need to learn. Here's one lesson they need to learn. It is not all about them. Wake up. You've got to fit into the world somewhere. And you've got to learn how to live in it and make sense with it. So it's not all about me. Now I want you to have a look in Luke 15. I'm going to follow this thought, uh, it's all about me. When I'll, and I'll describe what I call the princess syndrome in a moment. And uh, here it is. So we read in Luke chapter 15. Now I want to come to the discipleship verse in a moment. But I want to give you just something that will make sense to you now when you see this. When I go to the passage that Jesus said what it means to follow him. You need this in the back of your mind as we're going there. Now, you know the story. This is the story in Luke 15, and it's a revelation of who God is and what God is like in three phases. Jesus is the shepherd. Uh, God reveals himself 
as the one who uh, lights up our way, the Holy Spirit. He also reveals himself as Father. And this story about the Father, that we call it the prodigal son, but it's actually about the extravagance of God as a Father and his love as a Father. Now, we've ministered it to you from the perspective of the Father's love. I don't want to approach it that way. I want to look at it a different way. I want to have a look at the younger son's ruin and why he was ruined. Get the idea? And I want to draw your attention to four words. And here's the first two of them. The first two of them are found in verse 12. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me. Give me my share of the property. Give me. And we find from that point on, he goes progressively down into total ruin. And then there's a turning point comes in his life. We'll come back to it a little later in the message. Uh, then verse 17, he came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Here it is. Make me. Give me the path to ruin. Make me the path to promotion. Now, if you just took that away, you'd have something. Give me is the path to ruin. Now, you notice here in the story, give me, his mentality is this. It's all about me. It's about what I want. It's about, notice this, he has a sense of entitlement. I was interested in reading the American elections recently. They said there's a major concern in the way the country is going. It is moving away from its foundations of personal responsibility and moving towards a sense of entitlement. That the government needs to come through for me and provide something for me. That is the road to ruin. When you get a sense of entitlement... It's my rights. See, with the word to have a sense of entitlement means I believe that I am owed something by someone. The government owes me. The church owes me. My parents owe me. Someone owes me something. That kind of sense of entitlement is rooted, or it's identified by the two words, give me. Give me. Spirit of entitlement, a sense of entitlement. He had no interest in the welfare of his father. In fact, actually, a person who's got this give me mentality sees people from the perspective as, can I use you to get me somewhere? Give me. It's all about me. I want something from you that will help me get to where I want to get. There's an expectation of special treatment. I'm special. You should break the rules for me. I should get this ahead of time. I should get what I want when I want. Notice he's also strongly promoting himself, me. I want you to give to me. It's all about me. I want to fulfill my own destiny, and I want to be free of restraints. So his focus is on his personal rights. Dad, you're going to die, and I'm going to get a share, but I'm not interested in waiting. I want it all, and I want it now. Now, does those thoughts sound very familiar in today's generation? It is a road to ruin. It's a road to ruin. Total road to ruin. Now I want to just talk a little bit about something. I just wrote it down. I think trying to get a word for it. And I thought, I thought this word up. And then I, later I looked up and found it was in the dictionary. <clears throat> and, and I called it the princess syndrome. 
The Princess Syndrome goes something like this, when children become the focus of all the attention in the family, they become like little princesses, it's all about me. And it's all about what I feel. And if I'm unhappy, you've got to make me feel happy. And if I want this, you've got to give me what I want. And when I go to school, you see, there's lots of things. The, 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 the loss of fathers and family bringing order and identity has contributed to this. The, the breakdown of families has contributed deeply to this. And so you have a generation arising, and actually they've like got a, all got a princess syndrome. It's about me. I want to look good. I want to feel good. I want you to meet my needs. And so don't tell me anything that will upset me. So we'll have to change our education system. We won't have a pass-fail in my life. I don't know, but all my way through life there were many pass-fails. You got the job or you didn't get the job. That's a pass-fail, isn't it? Why would you hide from someone that real life works that way? That you sometimes get things you sometimes don't. That's actually life. And if you qualify, you get. If you don't qualify, you don't. This is actually what you experience in life. Why would you hide from a generation these realities and give them kind of grades, all kinds of things? I'm all for education and for improvements in education. But what I'm seeing is a generation arising that actually got like a princess syndrome. It's all about me and what I feel and what I want and you coming through for me. And there's actually not the understanding that this is the road to ruin. So there's a whole season in education where there's this focus on the esteem of the child. It's fine, but actually our esteem is not found by cultivating and nurturing self. It's actually found by identifying with Christ. Totally, radically different. So when you pamper people's esteem, what happens is you don't help them. It becomes more and more and more about me. And then, let me tell you, when you come into the, into the, into the kingdom with that mentality, then you know what? God, it's still all about me, and so when I pray, I want you to bless me, help me, do this for me, get me this, get me that, get me that. And the moment something goes wrong and I don't get what I want, now I'm having a hissy fit. And you can see, you know, the, I don't need to go into all of those, but you can see that there's a, there's a generation emerging with a great sense of entitlement, and what they need is to be challenged over this. It's the road to ruin. What you need is a cause to live for bigger than yourself. You need a person to connect to and a cause to live for. You need to get outside yourself and into something bigger. Every time you get into yourself, you decrease and become smaller and smaller. It's when you get caught in something bigger than yourself, you grow in capacity and start to flourish. In fact, actually, we're designed that way. We were never designed to be the center of the world. We're designed not to be the sun. We're designed, actually, to have Christ as the center of our world. And from that perspective, we establish who we are. One of the things a child has to establish in the family, very clearly has to be established, who is in charge? And if mum and dad don't establish they're in charge, that child becomes, gets the princess syndrome, it's all about me, and then there's this spoiled brat kind of deal where they want everything and they don't, und- and they fuss and, and create tantrums, all kind of deal when they don't get their way. They come into church, they do the same thing. And I, I've seen many people fail in their walk with God for this reason, they never got that it's not all about me. They just didn't get it. Because our society cultivates that. It keeps presenting that. All the advertising's directed that way. You will be happy if you have this. You'll be happy if you have that. You just need this. Oh, you can get it right now. Three years and you have to pay a thing. And then it's interest-free all that time. But what they're not telling you is actually you don't need it to make you happy. 
Because after you've got it, by the time you come to pay for it, you'll be unhappy, it'll have broken. You have to have another one. Go further. See, so it's not all about me. So you need to realize that. So, of course, there's a, there's a whole thing here. Uh, you may have heard about a guy by the name of Narcissus in the, old, in, in the Greek mythology. And he, was, he loved himself, actually. That's the best way to describe it. He was in love with himself. And uh, he wanted everyone to admire. He was very beautiful. He wanted everyone to admire how beautiful he was. And so everywhere he went, he expected everyone to say, oh, you're lovely, you're wonderful, you're beautiful. It's all about you. Uh, we've been watching that uh, uh, TV series called Big Bang Theory. And for Sheldon, it's all about him. The whole world is about him and his obsessions. And of course, this is the extreme of it. It's all about him. And it's disrupting and dysfunctional in all relationships. So Narcissus, was, it was totally about him. And so all his relationships, what he wanted was people to give to him, but he didn't want to give anything back. And so he destroyed all relationships, rejecting everyone, to one day sat by uh, 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 some water and saw his own face. And they thought, that looks amazing. That's a wonderful person. I like that person, and touched the water, and the water moved, and the person was gone. A bit shocked because the person's gone. They looked into the water again, and there it is, saw himself. He became captivated by himself. And in the end, he began to wither away and just grow old and die, even though everyone tried to help him. And so when you use that term, narcissist, it's someone who's totally preoccupied with himself. And unfortunately, many people today are caught up with that. They're caught up with themselves. And when you're caught up with yourself, let me tell you this. I have learned this in moving in the Spirit. The one thing that will stop you flowing in the anointing is being preoccupied with yourself. And that should teach something, shouldn't it? That the moment I think about myself, the anointing stops flowing. I've, I've proven that over and over and over. When we teach and demonstrate how to move with the Holy Spirit. It always comes to this point. If you think about yourself, the flow of the Spirit shuts down and you have no movement of God when you look in on yourself. There is no movement. There's no life there. Now, there's times to reflect and, and to consider our needs and so on. But, but here's the thing. The result of being self-absorbed is people do this. They end up with broken relationships. And so you've got a generation emerging that can't form committed relationships. Doesn't know what they are. They're preoccupied with getting something out of a relationship rather than growing and becoming someone who can build into it. There's a major problem in our society of this, and it's all around this thing, give me. And it requires a radical shift, and at the core of discipleship and following Jesus is a shift from give me to make me. He said, follow me, I will make you something. There's a shift that requires internal changes on a daily basis. So, so one of the things that happens when people are occupied with themselves is they end up rejecting everyone else because others have got no value to them. They end up absorbed in themselves, end up with all kinds of problems. It creates division in the church. It creates division in the workplace. You look in the workplace at the cause of the problems, and most of the time it's people, it's all about me is the thing that's going on. And, uh, you know, and, and this, this, this creates all sorts of different. You think about addictions. Why do people get so addicted into drugs? Why? It's all about them and their pain and what they want to feel like. And they totally, in the end, become so gripped with it that they ignore all the hurt they're causing everyone around them. So this is not, this is the path to ruin. A path to ruin. It's rooted in pride. Look where he ends up. This should be a lesson for us. It says, verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him in the fields to feed the pigs. He ended up with dealt with the pigs. The path of give me, give me, give me is the slow, steady path to ruin in every aspect of your life. At some point, you've got to say, God, 
Help me to make a shift on the inside. And you see that the core of discipleship is a shift around that issue of who's in charge. Have a look at Matthew chapter 16. You know this passage is one I want to get to. Uh, here it is, Matthew chapter 16, and uh, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the elders and, uh, hands of the elders and priests and scribes and be killed and raised up the third day. What is Jesus doing? He's revealing his life's purpose. He's revealing... This is what the Father has planned for me. This is the course I must run because it's not about me. It's about salvation of many. It's about the world. It's about salvation coming. It's about my Father's plan. It's not about me. Therefore, I will experience suffering. I will be put to death, but I will rise and then we will accomplish what God sent me for. But you see, Peter interrupted him. Look what Peter did. Peter took him. So he put his hand on him or even took him aside. We don't know what he did. And here it is. He took him aside or whatever it says. He took him aside and he began to rebuke him saying, be it far from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, I want you to see what he did. The first thing is he begins to rebuke him. Now, the interesting thing about the word rebuke means it means literally to place value on someone. So what he's doing is he's saying, listen, you are, the, you are the one who's giving me, helping me be the center of attention. We're having revivals. There's a coming kingdom, and we're going to rule in that kingdom. And, and if you go mess it up by dying on the cross, what will happen to me? Listen. Listen to me, he said. He began to rebuke him. So if you really care about people, you will talk about things in their life. So he began to rebuke him. This is what he said. Be it far from thee, or literally it says, pity yourself. Well, what he's really saying is, now, I heard what you say about suffering and crosses and stuff. I didn't hear resurrection at all. But what I do sense is this. You need to look out for yourself. Pity yourself. Have mercy on yourself. Look after yourself. Now, it's an amazing statement to make because I hear that all the time. You need to look after yourself. Actually, it's true. You must be responsible for yourself. There's a difference between being responsible for yourself and your needs which are valid needs, and then being preoccupied with yourself. That's quite a different thing. Here is a direct statement from Jesus of his purpose, his life's purpose, and someone saying, there's hardship in that, don't take that route. Well, I feel God's calling me to do this. Oh, that sounds pretty tough. Don't take that route. I feel God's calling me to get up and do this. Oh, well, don't take that route. It will be difficult for you. Now, I tell you what, there'll be a Peter in every person's life to say, don't take that route. Look out for yourself. What will happen to you financially? What will happen to you if you do that? If you gave your life to serve the Lord, what would happen to you? Oh, I don't think that's a good move. You know, sometimes, and Jesus said, sometimes the enemies of the call of God are within your own household trying to keep your family members happy who don't carry the same spirit of faith towards the things of God you do. He said that's why in discipleship there would come choices you have to make as to the priority you pay, place on the call of God or the work of God in your life. It's quite a challenge and there's no, one, no one escapes it. How many of you can identify a time when you felt uh, committed to do something that's going to be costly for you and there was some resistance and people tried to talk you out of it? How many of you had that happen to you? There's almost everyone here. Interesting, isn't it? Eh? So that's the next thing that uh, Jesus did. Now what Jesus did he, is quite interesting. This is, what he, this is what he did. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. 
you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of man. Now, in that is a tremendous amount of insight. I want you to have a look at the first thing he said is he actually confronts the mentality. He confronts it strongly and says, behind me, Satan. Now, here's the interesting thing. He ascribes to Satan the mentality, look after yourself, give me. And of course, Satan was the, the, the great give me, give me, give me person. That's where it all stems from. And so when he heard that thought come through, look out for yourself instead of the, put yourself before God's purpose for your life, he immediately ascribed it to the devil, and rightly so. The devil will obstruct every attempt you make to fulfill the course of God by saying, look out for yourself, it'll cost you too much. Second thing he says, you are an offense to me. That word means you are putting in my path something that will stumble and hinder me going forward in this purpose of God. When people tell you, hey, look out for yourself, take pity on yourself, have compassion for yourself, and it's all about you, it stumbles you fulfilling God's purpose in your life. It's not all about you, it's about the Lord and what He wants. Isn't the deal one of covenant? My wife married me, it was a covenant. She agreed to follow me wherever I went. I was a Catholic boy when she married me. She didn't know I'd go all over the world casting demons and doing weird things all over in different countries. No one told her that. I was a teacher and earning quite good money. She didn't, she didn't know when she said she'd follow me that that would involve hardship and difficulty which she would have to embrace her part of it. That's what, this is the thing you see, is that you don't know. When you give your life to Jesus, the deal is one of covenant. Not casual. If I agree with you, I'll go there. If I don't agree with you, I don't. If I like it, I'll say yes. If I don't like it, I'll say no. That's not the deal we're in. We're in a deal of covenant where he makes everything available to me. I make all I have available to him as well. That's the deal. It's covenant. It's actually a commitment to an agent journey together through life. This is why today's generation needs this message, because they don't understand what it means to journey through life and stick through thick and thin when it's tough. They need to actually get a message. Life is about covenant relationships, not casual. It's about make me to serve, not give me what I can. And so the third thing that Jesus said to him, get them behind, you are, you are stumbling me. In other words, this kind of thinking is an obstacle. You know, I, Jesus, there's a humanity to him as well. He wrestled with this thing of going to the cross. I mean, he prayed in the garden and sweated blood and tears. His whole humanity didn't want to die. He sweated over that once. That's why he said, you coming along, tell me I shouldn't do it. That's a real stumbling stone for me. I need you to say, yes, go for the will of God. Not every reason why I shouldn't. And, and the last thing he said, so he, he identified the source of the statement, look out for yourself and give me, as being the devil. The impact is an offense or stumbling block. And he said, the root of it is in the way you think. Because you have more concern and your affections are set on what people think rather than what God thinks. So he identifies that the core or the, the spirit behind it's the devil. He identified that it stumbles you in your walk with God when you get exposed to it. And he said it all has to do with what's of the highest value in your thinking in your life. Is the, are the things of God important to you or are the things of man uh, more important? And that, now, he's not saying you shouldn't be concerned with the issues of life. He's saying it's about priorities. And so there'll always come a point 
where what you feel you'd like to do, what you'd want to do, what would be nice to do comes in conflict with what God wants you to do and that's when you meet the next part which is what Jesus says. He uses it as an opportunity to instruct about what it means to be his disciple. And here it is. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, that's anyone. Who desires to come after Jesus? Well, we all do. We've all made it. We also, it's not a trick question. The word desire means literally, has anyone here purpose to follow Jesus? Anyone purpose to be his follower, to walk in the same path with him? Then he says, this is what it's going to take to stay on the same path. And here's what it'll take, these three things. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. You can't get that clearer. I haven't preached on that verse for a long time. And people don't like that verse because you know what it's got in it? Two very uncomfortable things. Number one, deny yourself. And uh, we don't like to have that one in there. And number two, take up your cross. And we don't want crosses, we want power and glory. But before the glory, there's the cross. And if it took Jesus to go through the cross into the glory, there will be points in our life in following him where the will of God and our will will cross. And that's when you have to make the choices. It's in those costly choices that you find the favor of God. That's where resurrection comes. Number one, deny self. Any man come after me, he must deny himself. So that's the, the, what it's saying is this. is actually got to recognize that the self-centered, what's in this for me, give me mentality must be rejected. You actually have to make decisions to reject it. And these are daily decisions. Now it's not about proper care for needs, proper managing your finances, proper looking out for emotional and physical needs or keeping yourself fit or anything like that. It's actually the whole issue of a self-centered way of thinking and acting. What's in this for me is no longer my viewpoint. Now if you think about this, if everywhere I went I changed and no longer was it what's in this for me but what can I give, you would be on the path to kingdom thinking. You, you, you do the counseling in the, in, the, in the marriage. How many of them come in, what am I going to get out of this, you know? What can you give me? I want sex, I want this, I want that. And you've got to reorient their whole thinking. Actually, what do you bring into this thing? You're bringing in very little. You're not ready for marriage yet. Isn't that how it works? In other words, people come into the relationship thinking, what can I get out of this marriage? And they end up destroying it. But if they came in saying, what can I bring into this marriage? What can I give into this marriage? That would start to build it. And that's true of every arena in life. If you approach it from what, not what's in this for me, but what can I do to serve? How can I give into this? Then you'll radically change your view of life. What can I give? How can I serve? How can I help? What can I do? You see, it's a, it's a way of thinking that just says no to what do I get out of this? Why, why do I get out of this anyway? I'm getting out of this. You know, I'm not into this. You know, so why should I do that? See, the whole part is, number one, deny self. Now, every one of you has to face that. It's your own journey where you have to deny self. I can't do that for you, fortunately. Here it is. You could pray a prayer, but that won't do any good. You have an altar call, that won't do any good either because at the end, you'll still have to say, no, no, no to me, yes to others. That's what it'll boil down to. Uh, and take up the cross. Now, Here's the interesting thing. What does it mean to take up the cross? Well, you don't have to take up Jesus' cross. He's already done the dying on the cross for sin. You don't have to go to the cross for sins or anything like that. But what does it mean to take up the cross? Very simply, it means doing, doing what God requires of you regardless of what people say or think or what you feel. I better run that one by you again. To take up your cross. 
cross was an instrument of death. So when you took up your cross, you're on your way to death, on your way to the to the gallows. Now here's the thing: the gallows was a horribly painful, unpleasant thing, and I don't know that people looked at you and stared at you and ridiculed you. So that kind of gives you the picture. He used the word cross. So what it's really saying is, you need to make decisions, and it's take up your cross daily. Paul, adds, uh, one of the gospel writers, adds, it's a daily decision. That I'll do what God is calling me to do. I'll follow what He's calling me to do, regardless of what people say or think or how I feel, or if it inconveniences me, I will still do it. I'll do what God wants me. So you notice the perspective is thinking what God is wanting for me. It's a heaven perspective. It's a thinking about how I work in the situation. What is the Spirit of God saying for me to do? What does the Word of God say for me to do? It takes away a lot of guesswork. Don't just go, "What do you want in the situation, Lord? I'm really happy to do that." And follow me. And follow me means that I walk in the same spirit that Jesus did. And I follow the same leadings he did. He was led by the Holy Spirit. I need to follow him. So that means I keep my eyes on him, not on what people are doing. Interesting, Peter said, hey, what about this disciple over here? You know, John, what about him? What's going to happen to him? And he's all head up about what's going on. He knows he's going to die. So he goes, what about this guy here? You know? and, uh, and Jesus said, he said, if he lives forever, what's that to you? You follow me. In other words, mind your business about what God's doing in someone else's life. You just follow me. Mind your business. Don't worry about what God's doing in someone else. You do make sure you're following. Don't worry about what, well, this one's doing this, this one's doing that, that one's doing. No, 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 no. Mind your business. Stick with what God called you to do. Even Paul wrote and said, study to mind your own business. It's a good idea. Tell someone, mind your own business. Good idea, isn't it? Even a counting program, isn't there, Bruce, on that one? Mind your own business. <laughs> oh, dear. So you, if you're going to follow the Lord, what it'll require is you just say, you, you adopt a lifestyle of saying, I'm here to, to give what I can. Even if it's little, I'll give what I can. Two, it'll mean at times I, I'm in, it's, just, it's not comfortable for me, it's painful for me or difficult for me or people don't agree, but I've got my eyes fixed on Jesus. That's all it is. Now, just for a simple example, I'll give you two simple examples that just show you how simple this thing works out. Just keeping in mind, deny self, take up your cross, follow Jesus. Okay? Here's the first issue. Someone upsets you. That's pretty common, isn't it? That upsets you because of your pride. You become offended and hurt. So, deny self. I need to deal with the pride and the offense and the hurt and I need to bring resolution to it. Stop focusing on me. What about me? Give me. You owe me an apology. Give me, give me. I need to actually realize something's happened. It set me back. It's not what I expected or what I hoped for, but it's, it's not me around a bit. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to actually, I'm going to deal with this thing very quick. Instead of demanding my rights, I'll surrender my rights and think, yes, they have offended me. What can I put into this to improve the situation? Most people want to go there. Well, I'm going to see them. I'm going to get there. And their nose is flaring and their eyes are out there bulging. And, and they're highly set up. Oh, I'm to tell them what's what. Good on you, mate. You know, you're not walking after Jesus, that's for sure. You know, and you'll, you'll be like, you'll end up with pigs like the, everyone else does who follows that path. It doesn't go anywhere. It ends up in destruction. When he decides, yes, actually what's happened is not good. However, what can I give into this that could improve or change the situation? You understand? Just the change in thinking. Number two, take up the cross. Well, what would it mean to take up the cross? Well, I, I need to forgive because on the cross Jesus forgave. But I don't want to forgive. I want to shake my fist. Oh. So take up your cross and forgive. 
And then follow Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus showed grace and mercy to people. Remember what they said when he came past one town and, and the disciples said, these guys have rejected us. We should call down fire. Give me the word, Jesus, and we'll call fire down and burn them all up. Oh, they were really full of, you know, Holy Ghost fire, you know. And then out, there's this, this righteous indignation. You know, I notice when people get angry, they always say, it's righteous anger. I doubt it. I haven't seen much of that, really. <laughs> righteous anger is usually addressed to the poor and, the, and fixing the grievances of the afflicted, not towards being angry about your own injustices. Anyway, that's an aside. So, so <laughs> I've lost the track now. So what do you need to do? So most people just flare up. Well, it's a very, very simple thing. Instead of saying, I'm hurt and it's all about me, why don't you say, what could I do to help the situation out? How could I bring, build a bridge of peace into this relationship and be a peacemaker? And what will it cost me to do it? I need to forgive. I need to go and ask what's my part in it and say I'm sorry. But, but it's all about them. I should be someone saying sorry to me. But they're not saying sorry to me. It's actually about letting a little bit go. You may have only contributed 10%. Just go and put your 10% right. What about them? No, worry about them. It's not about them. It's about you doing your part to make this a different situation. And in doing that, you follow Jesus. Because when you follow Jesus, you'll have the peace of God in your heart. That's how you know you're following him. Your heart is at peace. Why? Because the Spirit of God, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace. So as soon as the peace lifts, you're out of place. You're going to make a decision. Deny self. Take the cross. Do what Jesus would have done. Okay? Second area, a second example, quite easy. I've learned this is when it comes to moving in the Spirit, very, very simple. The moment you stop and think about yourself, the movement of the Spirit stops. Just like that. And that should be a lesson that if you want to flow with the Holy Spirit, stop thinking about yourself. I found one of the things that's helped me mostly in ministering to people is very simply this begin to think how much God loves them and agree with that. And begin to think about the person being of great value and that God wants to help them. And I could just be a channel for that. And as I will orient my thinking that way, spirit moves. It's not really hard, is it? It's quite sort of simple stuff. Okay, follow me. So, let's finish it up. We'll go back to that one in Luke. Here it is in Luke 15. Finish back up there again. The young man had a revelation. And when you write down in the pigs and your life's a mess, and everything's falling apart, and you're having a disaster, maybe give me was the path that got you there. Maybe it's a financial ruin, and when you think about it, it was give me, give me, give me, and you went to the store, and you got this, and got that, and got something else, and then there you are down there in ruin, and the, they're coming to the door to take away your stuff, and you're embarrassed and humiliated, you're right down there. And then he had, he came to himself. Isn't that a good thing? What does that mean? It means he was sort of, he was actually out of his mind. We've got lots of crazy people. They're out of their mind. You know, when you start to think according to the ways of God, you come to your senses. You come to your senses. Usually you come to your senses when you repent and acknowledge the truth. Then your mind clears, the demons go, and you think, that was stupid of me. Anyone had that one before? That was stupid. Why did I do that? What came over me? What came over me? So he came to his senses. I'll give you the key thing. The first thing he did, and this is what we need to do, is you need to just recognize the condition. He said this, I'm perishing with hunger. My life is a mess. I need to recognize the reason it's a mess is because the way I'm looking at life is give me, give me, give me. That's why I'm in this mess. Don't matter whether you're Christian or not. I've seen plenty of Christians get into a mess because they still have that same thinking. This is one in the house of God, really, this young man here. Second one here is, 
It needs to be heartfelt repentance. He said, I know I'll go to my father and I'll say, I've sinned against heaven and before you. There has to be an admission of wrong, that actually my attitude has been wrong and that I've hurt people with it. That's the hard one. And you notice he was willing to go and say, I've sinned before God. What I did is actually sin. That's the root of it. Self-centered thinking, give me is sin. See, we think of sin as, well, I you know, got drunk or did this or did that. Well, we don't think that actually that whole self-centered orientation of life is actually out of order and therefore sin. He said, I'll say, I've sinned against heaven and I'll sin against you. So here's the thing. Number one, I need to recognize that my give me approach to life and relationships, whether it's work, marriage, children, family, ministry, whatever it is, actually is a path to ruin. I need to come and start to reflect and say, God, show me not only why, where I'm at, but show me how I've hurt people through this. Then he went to the Father and he was willing to apologize and say, I am sorry. What I did was wrong. I have really damaged our relationship. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Notice there's no claims, no entitlement. It's all gone. He said, make me to be a servant in the house. What a change. So number one, we need to recognize just the condition we're in and that mentality and way of thinking. Two, deeply repent because it has affected those around us. Has affected people in your sphere of influence. And where, where appropriate, put it right by apologizing. And then thirdly, the next thing is we need to actually take up the cross. There's actually a decision that I'm going to do things differently. I'll do things differently. You notice what the young man did. He came back and he said, I'm going to be a servant. So make a commitment. You'll serve in situations. The moment you set yourself to serve, a decision to serve others and make it your value in life. I will honor people, I will serve people, because this is who I am. When you make that decision, everything in your life starts to shift. Because every situation you go into, it's not, what can I get out, give me, and getting angry and upset and offended, it's now, what can I put in that will make it better? What can I contribute that would shift this? How can I be a blessing? How can I build? Now, I may not be able to fix everything, but I can do my part to make this office, this house, this neighborhood, my marriage, my family, a better place. And in doing so, you are following Jesus. Because he said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, serve. Serve. Serve, 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 serve. You never graduate from it. Whether It doesn't matter what position you hold, title or rank, they don't mean anything. It's all about serving. And if you haven't got the serving thing fixed up, then the title's a mess. It just means you use everyone to hurt, hurt, and you'll hurt them. But if you've actually got serving right, you can have a position or no position. It doesn't mean a thing. Because when you have no position, you're serving. When you have a position, you're serving. It's just how you serve is different. And this is what's going on right through the world right now. The corporate structures are starting to collapse because they are based on give me an entitlement and not on serve me. And now they're starting to collapse. And the world's saying we need to look to another another way of doing life. Churches which picked up that model for years and ran with it, and now where are they going to look now? They need to come back to what Jesus said. And Jesus was able to, now get this, you'll love this, we'll finish with this. It's his last meal. Now if you're about to have your last meal, you want it to be a special meal? Happy meal? It'll be a happy meal with everything added on. And what you would probably want is everyone to be nice to you because you're about to do this very big thing, you know. I'm going to go to the cross. It's going to hurt. And what he did instead was he washed the feet. 
See, that is the spirit of the kingdom. That is the spirit. Now, if you follow Christ, that's the spirit you walk in, a spirit of serving. Why don't we just close our eyes right now, shall we? Father God, we just thank you for the great privilege of being called to walk in your kingdom and to have Jesus as such a model. We thank you, Lord, that even now as we open our hearts, you will come forth and you will serve us. You will minister to us. You will help us. Lord, wherever our feet are dirty because of the way we've walked our life, we may be down on the pigsty because of the decisions we've made, but you will come and wrap your arms around us and help us to get up out of it. Just while our eyes are closed and heads about, is there anyone here today not yet become a follower of Jesus, haven't given your life to Jesus? It'd be a great day to do that, wouldn't it? Being in the atmosphere of God, the presence of God. Why don't you make that decision today? I'm going to, I'm going to actually put, open my heart to Jesus Christ. I'm going to take the first step by inviting Christ into my life and trusting Him to deal with the issues of my sins and failures of the past. That's the first step. Then it's a journey after that, walking with Him. Is anyone at that place to receive Jesus? Would you raise your hand? Just let me know. Any person here? You're not a Christian by coming to church. You're a Christian by a decision, the work of God. And so the work of God in your heart comes when you believe and trust Christ. Is there anyone here just right at that place of decision right now? I want to just, before we just finish now, we're going to finish just exalting him and lifting him up. I wonder if anyone here, if God challenged you, you realize actually this thing of give me, give me has been more in my life than I realized. And I, I really need to address it. God has been speaking to me about this issue of denying self in some area of of actually reorienting to become what can I give and how can I serve rather than what can I get and what can I receive. If you had God speaking about that or maybe about the issue of the cross where actually you've quit on many things because people were upset or someone didn't like it or it cost you something, it hurt, it was difficult on the way and there are unexpected setbacks and difficulties and, and, and Jesus saying, come on, pick up your cross. You need to follow me again. Come on, start walking with me. If you know how God speak to you today about that, just make a response today. See, we love all these words about destiny and future and purpose of God. But you know, the pathway there is the pathway of following Jesus, and it involves denying self, taking up your cross, following him. That is the path of a disciple. It's the path of every disciple. There are no exceptions. Oh, well, I thought it'd be different for me. You know, I'm sort of special. <laughs> My mum told me I was special. All the time when the kids bullied me, they told me I was special. Yes, you're special. But stop being a pretty princess and make a decision to man up and follow Christ. If that's you today and you know God was speaking to you in some area, why don't you raise your hand right now? Just while eyes are closed, just raise your hand. God challenge you. God bless. God bless. Many hands coming up. Father, I just think, why don't we just, as we stand together, uh, what we'll do is we'll just worship with that song we sing right at the very end of the service. We'll just exalt him. And you build an altar in your heart. If God's spoken to you, you need to go put a marriage thing right, a family thing right, a relationship right, a work situation right. Work out how to do it, how to own it, how to go there with a serving heart, how to actually make the apology a good apology. And then believe that now you're going to come and serve. You know, after my promotion in the workplace came one day, when I went to my boss and apologized to him because I had neglected something in my work that was very important to him. I could see the astonishment in his face that within 18 months he'd promoted me. Hmm. Principles of God work. Come on, let's just stand and worship him, shall we? Let's just stand up and flow with that song.